Hello, and welcome to PCB Chat, where we talk with experts across the printed circuit design, manufacturing, and electronic supply chain fields. I'm Mike Buteau, president of PCEA. I've been covering the soldering industry for more than 30 years. During that time, I've seen lots of innovations come and go. I remember when an engineer from Hughes was using citric acid from oranges as a flux, and when Bell Labs introduced its first water-soluble flux. I recall when nitrogen was first used, and when no clean paste were rolled out and dismissed as lab toys. But I digress. Last July, Indium Corporation announced a partnership with Safitech, an Iowa-based startup that is creating no-heat and low-heat solder and metallic joining products. They call these supercooled molten metal products, and they have direct application to electronic soldering. We are joined today by Dr. Ian Tevis, Safitech's president and co-founder, and Dr. Andy Mackey of Indium Corporation, to discuss this supercooling platform and what's next toward bringing it to market. Andy and Ian, welcome to PCB Chat. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Mike. The electronics industry has been chasing lower temperature solders for decades. That effort really sped up as SAC solders took hold in the wake of the European mandates to eliminate lead. But tin has a higher melting point than tin lead, so the transition away from tin lead eutectic, or 6040, meant higher reflow temperatures, which in turn means more stress on the bareboard laminate, the typically plastic component packages, and so on, not to mention the higher processing costs due to the increase in energy consumption. Naturally, then, it would be a big deal if we could process solder with SAC 305 characteristics at a much lower temperature. Ian, let's start with you. What exactly is this new platform you've created? Sure. Uh, I'm uh, the CTO and president of Safitech, and, and we're bringing this supercooled liquid metal um, product um, to the market. And, and what it really is is a new form factor for solder metal alloys. It's a core shell microcapsule. We call it a microcapsule. Others might call it a particle or a solder ball. It, it looks just like a regular solder ball, just a little bit smaller with a little bit extra on the shell. So like a, a core shell structure, meaning the solder on the inside is the metal alloys that you know and maybe love, SAC-305 and, and other metal alloys. Um, and we put a proprietary shell on that. And then what, what that gives us in and users of the solder material is access to the super cooled liquid state. That's just, instead of being a liquid above the melting point, you're a liquid below the melting point. That's just what's being called a super cooled liquid state. So we stabilize that and so the users can access that and use a liquid version of SAC, a liquid version of bismuthin or other versions, uh, different alloys at much lower temperatures than normal. And so the IP is in the shell. The IP goes towards the, the shell, which is like the magic that makes the technology happen. But there's also some unique application-specific IP, right? There's new ways of using it. We have a, a chemical-based process like a solder paste would have a chemical-based flux to remove the shell, remove our oxide and organic shell. Also, there's an IP on what we call mechanical activation or you know, compression-based techniques where we take a, a little squishy microcapsule and we squeeze out all the liquid metal 
and it can flow out and, and form your, your solder joint that way. So you've started with SAC 305. Is that the only solder that you've tried this with, or are you working on any other uh, solder types? So the, the technology is really a platform. And SAC 305 is like the biggest target, you know, for, you know, a startup like us. Um, but we've applied it to successfully to other platforms. Bismutin being one of them, there's a lot of interest in, in that, or at least growing interest in, uh, you know, a lower temperature solder. Bismuth based solders are, are easily accessible because of their lower melting point. Um, we've also looked at um, some lead based solders because there's still a need if you could process a, a lead tin solder joint at lower temperatures, there, there's a benefit there. But it's primarily been SAC and it's primarily been bismuthin. What solder powder size or sizes have been tested to date? Yeah, so the, the key to like the way the technology works is the solder spheres have to be small. Um, we're talking 1 to, to 10 micrometers in diameter. We can go a little bit bigger. We don't really go smaller than that. Uh, and I'm not even sure if there are specifications, maybe Andy can speak more towards it, if a type 9 and type 10 powder size have been truly defined um, about what sizes those are yet. But that's about the size we work on. Type 9 or type 10? We talked yeah. about in Song and Legend, in fact, I was reading uh, one of our competitors was talking about this, I think about 15 years ago when I first started at Indium. Um, and uh, we're, we're still sort of not seeing that powder size out in the market for standard uh, system and package and those kinds of applications. Um, however, having, having said that, the, the technology itself um, is, is something that we've been working on with, with Savvy Tech for, I think, about five years now, six years, Ian, is that right? Yeah, so we, we've been sort of work, working together quietly in the background as, as sort of finding applications for this and, and so on and so forth. And we, we really got excited, I think, about six months ago when we realized that this was actually going to be usable uh, uh, potentially in, in some real-life situations. It was no longer a, a laboratory curiosity. It was going into the uh, kind of out, out into the real world. And it was at this point that um, I, I uh, made the decision that I think it was time to sort of jump in and uh, for us to work together to actively promote this uh, out into the electronics assembly industry sort of broadly. So at that size, though, you're really just pushing molecules around. Oh, no, no, no. There, there's still a lot of room between us and molecules. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, where do you stand in the testing, and what types of uh, machines have you used this on so far? Um, so we're, we're early on in, in the testing. Um, so we have um, done some basic level uh, die shear type tests or, or component shear, and then some thermal shock, right? For our, our SAC-305 prototype, we, we've sent them out for external testing for thermal shock, um, minus 40 to, to 110, we're doing 30 minutes at each one of those for thermal shock, 1,000 cycles. Um, so the, this is a BGA attach on an immersion silver FR4. So it's kind of our, our test vehicle. Is a BGA uh, works well with our uh, system. Immersion silver gives a nice surface finish for us to, to do um, our, our attach. So they're surviving the thousand cycles. There's a little bit of voiding that's occurring, but no full cracks. So that's kind of early level testing are, are promising, um, for, for that. And, uh, we're working on the flux, right? The, the flux being used on a SAC 305 microcapsule now at 180 degrees Celsius versus 240. That flux will look pretty different 
and similar in some ways, but it, it has to be designed to work on our shell and at a lower temperature. Um, so there's some development that needs to go on there as well as print development. You know, we're pretty, pretty good experts at making microcapsules and supercooling. Flux development, it's its own separate beast to, to tame. So this is what I would call bearing the lead, right? Because we talked at the open about uh, this being a, a, a low temperature um, or, you know, a lower temperature uh, process. Um, so what temperature are we actually talking about? Oh, yes. Yeah. So uh, so for ZAC-305, we're, we're doing some um, processing at 180 degrees Celsius, as low as 165. Uh, it's still prototype. You know, it's, it's for select customers. We were doing some trials and demos for. Um, but you're talking um, for, say, bismuthin, normally processed 165. I think some of them are getting closer to 150. We're, we're at 135 degrees Celsius to process that. 135. Mm-hmm. So I can, I think it's safe to say that the reflow profile is probably looks significantly different than that for SAC 305. Yeah, it's a it's a ramp to peak. We we try to go as quickly as possible to that that peak reflow temperature. It's because that flux activity is always on, and when it's always on on a liquid metal microcapsule, you can actually get joining at at twenty degrees Celsius. It's limited, but it, you can get a little joining, and then 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 that's it. Then you're done. The testing that you've done to date uh, has that been from uh, boards that were run through just uh, uh, convection reflow, um, and if so, was that uh, nitrogen or just air environments, or you know, have you tried any other type of uh, like vapor phase or anything like that? So the the boards that we're talking about for this thermal shock, um, they were put through. Uh, we have a, a BGA rework station. We have kind of a wonky process to to use it. Uh, mainly because supercooling of SAC-305 isn't um, down to below a a usable ambient temperature. Um, So we have this rework station. It's a couple extra steps to to do it where we're doing flux dipping and heating and such. Um, But that system is originally done in air, and then uh, Indium suggested, hey, do it in nitrogen, and and here's the PPMs that you should be looking at. And we did it in nitrogen to, um, um, to great effect. It does help quite a bit. Um, to do that, mainly because the, the lower temperature uh, processing of the alloy, you do have less, you have more viscosity, you have less movement, the ability to wet and move, and so you want to limit that oxide formation as much as you can. You did mention the test vehicle earlier, uh, and you mentioned that there's BGAs on it. Uh, what else, what does the rest of that board look like? What other kinds of parts are on it, and was it designed uh, really just to kind of look at the uh, solderability of, of the uh, of the platform or um, were you also looking at, you know, what the potential dispensing and other characteristics might look like? Yeah, the, the test vehicle was chosen uh, to demonstrate all the parts, right? The printability of this material with, with a shell, make sure that the shell isn't, isn't uh, disrupted. It's um, the use of a flux and to, sh- and to look at the solder joint, right? With these um, vehicles have SAC-305 solder balls on them. Right, and they're a great uh, test to show because the SAC-305 ball, if it's not melting, it won't collapse, right? And you can see that pretty clear, clearly in the micrographs of the cross-sections. And you're looking at, you know, IMC formation on, you know, your, our material, SAC-305, on the, the immersion silver FR4. You know, if you have a 
thick intermetallic compound, you know, five or more micrometers, well, you know, you probably did that at a, at a significantly higher temperature than 180, right? And so it was really to prove out, yes, like this, the basic science uh, discussion of SAFI Tech is over, right? This is a real solder joint. Here it is, it's continuous, Saxio 5 IMC formation, survives thermal shock, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's work together to, to finish this and bring it to market. Andy, you mentioned a moment ago that you've been working with Ian for, I think, six years. When did Safi Tech first appear on your radar? We've been working as Indium Corporation with Safi Tech for six years, but it was really, uh, and I sort of heard about it in, in uh, sort of someone's story internally uh, for several years, but it was only, I, th- I think it was about six months ago that we really started to pick up interest and make a make a decision that it appeared that uh, we we there was something here. There was more more signal than noise coming out of the data, and uh, the the potential applications for this also really started coming out. The, I think everyone's aware of the the drive to use um, um, lower energy reflow for cost saving as uh, one one major thing, but also a major. Uh, push within heterogeneous integration, for example, is the use of step soldering and um, the overall thermal budget for the assembly processes. So you have a high temperature assembly process, then a lower one, a very low one, and then ultimately, um, primarily caused by things like warpage and so on, you're going to want something that may uh, may want to be as low a temperature as possible. And so that's something that uh, the Safi Tech te- uh, uh, Technology really offers uh, in, in a way that other other materials absolutely do not have. Has Indium performed any in-house testing or with its customers of this solder yet? Um, we we've uh, we've done our own internal testing and and had some uh, very positive results, which again is one of the reasons why we're we're starting to. Um, be interested in working with and partnering with Safi Tech and the team, um, precisely because we, we see the, the feasibility of this in the real world. Are all the samples being made uh, in, in Ames right now, or they, uh, is anybody else taking on responsibility? We, we still do make all the, the materials in, in Ames. That's uh, all the solder microcapsules from any of the alloys, so we have equipment designed for each of the different temperature ranges to, to manufacture them. And, and our goal as a startup um, is to manufacture the, the, the material. And we, we draw a lot here in Ames, Iowa. We're on Iowa State's campus, um, so we draw a lot of the, the resources here from the, the, uh, the tools available, but also the people here um, pretty well known for some of our metals tech. Yeah, I'm going to touch on that in a moment. Um, here's a key question, right? How is this stored? So a, a couple ways in which we store it. Um, kind of what's nice about the technology is that the shell and core of the microcapsule, they're, they're different. And you can freeze the core and you can melt the core. As long as that shell is intact, you can store it as a solid if you'd like. And then you can get the liquid state back just by heat cycling. So like, for example... Bismuthin, we could freeze it in a minus 20 degrees Celsius freezer, and then we can remelt it at 139, 138 degrees Celsius and cool it back down to ambient, and 100% of those microcapsules are in the supercooled liquid state, which is pretty nice um, for transportation and long-term storage. 
Um, once it's in the liquid state, we store it uh, under ambient conditions, like uh, under nitrogen, under ambient temperatures, uh, or we store it in a refrigerator setting, right? So, so we're trying to prevent the nucleation of the metal inside. And so you give it a little less uh, energy to move around, it's a little bit harder for that metal inside to freeze. So we, we will sometimes store it in a refrigerator for up to four months in the liquid state. When it's stored in uh, in, a, in a refrigerator, would it be at typical temperatures, or do you have to uh, have? It, does it have to have really its own refrigerator? Well, we store it at between like zero and, and four degrees Celsius. Uh, I think that's one of the differentiators between us and a normal solder paste. You know, um, we can't quite get the the minus twenty um, storage temperatures for our products yet. That's one of the things that that we're working on. We know the cold chain uh, and, and its importance in the solder paste. We're also um, right now, it's uh, stored as a separate, um, you know, a separate system. The particles stored in one container, or the paste vehicle, whatever it may be, stored in another. Um, then they're simply mixed um, right when they're going to be used. Uh, what's the process for mixing? I mean, you know, with a typical jar of solder paste, you might just, you know, stick a stick in there and and swirl it around a little bit. So, what are we looking at here? Yeah. So the the I mentioned uh, early on that we have a process for mechanically activating or kind of squeezing them. That that could be true if you're mixing too. So the pro- mixing process is important. Um, so we typically will add small amounts at a time and then fold it in, trying to use the liquid to uh, mix in the solder balls without applying too much shear. And once they're coated in a liquid, then they can be really sheared because once those particles can slip over each other, that kind of water balloon-like structure, that elastic shell on the surface of this, this squishy particle really pre- prevents the, the metal from being sheared open during the process of mixing or printing. Ian, I know Safi Tech is a startup, and according to your website, you're being funded by grants from the Department of Energy and uh, Semiflex Tech mm-hmm. and at least one private equity group. Mm-hmm. Are there any other organizations or companies providing funding at this time? So those are the three um, main sources of us. A VC that specializes in kind of this deep tech, you know, this, these new emerging technologies that come out that um, are trying to get over the valley of death. And, and there's not a lot of uh, organizations that fund in this particular um, space. Um, the government is one of them, and then the VC is, you know, the kind of the next leg of that as they cross the valley of death. Um, but we've been very fortunate the semiflex tech you know this, this uh, private uh, public partnership um, funded us for creating um, interconnects at pet you know compatible temperatures for flexible hybrid electronics um, so that's where that bismuth tin product i, I discussed came from um, that was an 18 month project funded by safi tech and by this semiflex tech but right now we're working on a department of energy SBIR. Um, their high energy physics has a need to replace bump bonding for their wafer to wafer and, and chip to wafer um, attached. So they have these large format readout and sensor chips they use for high energy physics like at CERN and, and other places. And it is difficult to assemble them because they're so large um, and get all of the little uh, IOs or, or sensor bits on the sides to 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 connect, and, and you get deflection on the device edge from dynamic warpage because these 
these things are like 50 micrometers, 100 micrometers thick. So they have a lot of defle- deflection that occur, can occur. So we have a, a, a kind of a unique unique approach using uh, microcapsules and, and self-assembly to uh, put the microcapsules down and then solder them at a much lower temperature where the uh, relative readout, the ch- chip and the, the sensor are relatively planar to one, one another. So we limit the head and pillow. We, we limit the opens on the device edge. Andy, in your long tenure in electronic materials, and I'm not calling you old. Um, I, I was wondering why you were going with that. Yeah. <laughs> Seasoned veteran. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, veteran seems to be the catch-all, right? Um, yeah. Have you ever come across anything like this? Um, in my years, no. And and it's, it's fascinating. Going back to my sort of physical chemist uh, days many, many years ago, the dinosaurs ruled the earth. Um, it, it's wonderful to see the the, the 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 nature of phase transition being absolutely turned on its head because you you know, you know from the physics that you take a, an alloy an ultra pure alloy and I've I've seen this happen for example at IBM with their C four NP process and you see a, a subcooled alloy so you see these sort of little aliquots or little deposits of a subcooled uh, tin silver alloy. Um, and they're, they're cooled below the, the solidus point, but they're still liquid. And then you can kind of watch them spontaneously solidify the, the, and, and do that magic kind of phase transition, but at a temperature that is well away from the uh, what you normally expect from the uh, standard uh, you know, thermodynamic uh, solidus temperature. And, and all of this is allowed by the uh, kinetics of, of the phase transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and to actually see this being implemented in solder itself is is absolutely mind blowing. And I recommend if anybody hasn't seen Ian and his team's um, video of taking a what appears to be almost like a, a kind of a little solder grape, and then poking that with a, a, a micro probe and this sort of grape like uh, object under the microscope. Once its uh, uh, surface has been damage and the solder leaks out a little bit, then immediately solidifies. And so it's actually the the nature of the physical chemistry of the um, shell itself that uh, Ian was alluding to that actually maintains that liquid phase when, you know, your your standard textbooks will be telling you, oh yeah, it's, it's below the solidus, it's gonna be it's gonna be solid. And it's absolutely fascinating. And so there's a there's a fascination around the technology from a, a, a pure science point of view, but actually being able to turn that into something real and actually being able to well, you know, make money out of mm-hmm. this thing is is really what it what uh, also excites my business brain. So <laughs> it's fascinating technology. Let's talk about the applications. Um, this is currently, you know, getting funding from the uh, the U.S. government. However, I would think that military um, applications are probably way down the list insofar as what would be the immediate end product use. Yeah, the the, re- the requirements for you know MilSpec and, and others are are quite high, you know, for for us to do and. We are, you know, we're a startup, and we have some limited testing capabilities. And we have Indium Corporation with a lot of more capabilities to, to do the testing. And and you look forward towards those applications where um, they have, you know, a, a need for a lower temperature solder. And you know, the the military has the you know, excluded from 
the, the rules and they can use lead tin and you know that tin and lead are a great combination for solder and they're a great combination for supercooling. So there are opportunities there, but right now we're we're looking for uh, really a good good entry level application where our uniqueness is unchallenged. Right, there's nothing no, nothing else that can really do what we do and. The customers are in such a need that they're they're willing to do a, maybe a process change, try something a little different um, to to make it to make their their products work. I will add as well that um, we were just talking to uh, one of our local universities yesterday about the um, increasing uh, kind of overlap between some of the applications in medical, such as cardiac monitoring. And uh, people on the battlefield, so that a need for the troops in action actually to have their their vital signs be monitored at, at the same time. And so clearly, uh, the the kinds of stresses, the kinds of ten thousand G type stresses that you your hypersonic missile would need to withstand, you know, that will necessitate a, 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 a tin tin lead joint or something like this. Whereas some of these um, medical devices, and Ian already alluded to. Uh, PET and maybe even lower melting types of uh, substrate, um, and these so these uh, medical type devices are really necessitating low temperature um, uh, feasible substrates, flexible substrates, and so on. Of course, the the corollary with that is that it can't go above you know 120 degrees C, 100 degrees C, 150 degrees C. So really, uh, so you really are limited. So so taking a, a sort of a, a military aspect to this, there is clearly an overlap between the, the needs in the medical industry for, for flexibility, conformance to, uh, to body shapes and so on, um, as, and, and, and battlefield, and that all of these kinds of crossovers are occurring um, at the same time. Just as long as it doesn't start reflowing at a temperature, you know, I don't know, slightly below 35C, right? You know, if it was going to be embedded? <laughs> right. Yeah. Andy, you know, I understand um, from Safitech's perspective why it would want to um, partner with a major solder company. What's in it for Indium? In it for Indium is the opportunity to be, to be in at the ground level um, with a an, an exciting new technology, which uh, we believe it's it's probably never going to replace the whole of, of SAC three hundred five or or any of the large scale solders. But again, with the emergence of these lower temperature requirements, step soldering, uh, mm-hmm. flex flex circuitry, and and, and so on, and, and and frankly, the the wide scale promulgation of these, uh, particularly with an aging population, should we say, necessity for that, um, we can see that now is a good time with the technology really starting to come into the limelight. Real applications for this started to come forward, so we we really wanted to be in at the uh, at the basement level. Uh, with Safi Tech again, with whom we've been working for many years and very quietly under the radar, um, and and so once the opportunity or the opportunities as, as we're currently seeing, because we're we're talking regularly to customers and equipment partners and and so on to develop uh, not just the needs and the, the very specific needs and the materials for them, but also the processes that Ian's already mm-hmm. talked about that, that go into this. So we, so we have the the whole wonderful thing of the material and the equipment partner and the process ready, and then we have the customer need, uh, all kind of set up there in a, 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 that, that wonderful triangle that makes things work. Um, but we wanted to be ready so that um, 
once the scale up comes, we'd be ready to work with the team um, and be able to provide the ability to scale these materials um, as, as we have done with so many materials over the years. So the anticipation then is that Indium would actually get into the manufacturing. Absolutely, yes. Ian, Iowa State has been ground zero for a few significant advancements in solder materials. Ames Laboratory, which is part of the Department of Energy and also a partner with ISU, developed and licensed one of the first silver copper tin solders to become mainstream in electronic soldering. So I have to ask, what's in the water there? Uh, uh, it's really more of the, the, the corn that we all enjoy and then breathe in as we drive everywhere in Iowa. Uh, I don't know. I think there, there's, there's something special here. They've really built uh, such a, a great uh, environment here for metal technology. Um, one of the, the, the inventors of that uh, alloy you discussed, uh, Dr. Ivor Anderson, is one of our advisors. Um, of, of course, you know, he, he's, a, he's a great guy um, with his beautiful mustache and his, his Hawaiian shirts he, he loves. Um, we, um, we like Ivor, and uh, he, he really works closely with my, my partner, um, uh, Professor Martin Thuels, as they're both um, there at the, at the university um, and a little bit at Ames Lab. It, it just, there, we, we know how important it is um, for these metallurgical advances to, to continue. Uh, and the technology that we invented really, um, you know, Ivor was one of the, his PhD thesis was in supercooling of, of uh, undercooling of metal alloys, right? When he was at, at um, UW Madison. And so, like, you know, this is a technology that, and you mentioned seeing some of that supercooling in, in some other applications as well. You know, it's it's been there um, for a while, and it's just kind of coming together. How do we turn this into an actual material that can be be used? And that was really the the key um, thought that my my professor, as a postdoc, he, he had uh, here at Iowa State to um, to, to bring it to, to market. And I'm the one who just went into lab and made it work. What's the next step? I mean, you know, you, you have um, the ability to, to manufacture. You're proving out the platform. You have a, a major solder vendor as a partner. Um, you know, we, Andy referenced scaling a little bit ago, but, you know, how do you get there from here? I think it's really deciding what, what is there. What, what is, what, what, where, should, where, do, where do we want to go, right? You know, we have this platform. And it can be used in a lot in a lot of different ways in many different applications. And we're a startup. I have precious few resources to bring a product to market. And Indium Corporation is helping us with some of these customer interactions uh, to ask the right questions to kind of say, well, this is you know interest to us, and because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, and so it's it's really like picking the target, and then customers have to touch it, and they have to, to try it, and then they have to you know, lower their apprehension for, for it and then get it specced into what they're building. Now, listeners probably wouldn't know this, but Andy and I worked together years ago at IPC on various material standards. Yes. So, Andy, are the standards as they are written today open to accommodating, you know, this type of technology or will there, be, will there necessarily need to be some changes? 
No, this this is this is actually another reason why this is one of these kind of perfect storms of, of, of wonderfulness or whatever the whatever the good phrase might be for it. It's uh, the uh, the the current version of the J Standard Twenty. And I'm probably going to bore people to sleep right now, but there is a standard often referred to as J Standard Twenty. It's uh, uh, co-agreed with with uh, with JEDEC. There's a, there's an IPC JEDEC agreement about this as being a joint standard. Uh, but it speaks to the temperatures that are um, exposed that uh, uh, of step soldering, shall we say, the temperatures uh, to which um, solders uh, in, a, in a hierarchy of solders in, in, a, in a single assembly are going to be subject to. So that the, there's a kind of there's a high temperature and there's a medium temperature and there's a low temperature and there's an ultra low temperature. And this is something that's actually falling out of the current version of the J standard. 20, I think this is going to be the F version of it. Um, and the the timing for this could not be better because it's going back a little bit to those times of um, the uh, the tin lead solders um, and bismuth tin solders and saying, hey, we've got to have a, 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 a hierarchy of solders. So we've got to have a, a solder with a melting point somewhere around that of tin lead, which is around 183 degrees C, but it can contain lead. Um, and and what what are the opportunities for this? So the specification from IPC J, uh, J standards, the, the J standard twenty next version is going to include kind of a three tier system. And so anybody who's looking at well, how do we qualify a material into this um, process is uh, is is going to have a, a kind of a lookup table of, uh, oh, okay, so we, so we need to do this with this specific uh, package size because it's it's dealing mostly with uh, system and package type applications, heterogeneously integrated devices and so on and so forth. So so that's actually something that uh, just this afternoon we're going to be talking to JEDEC about. So good call, Mike. Very good call. I thought J-Standard 20 was the uh, component moisture sensitivity standard. It, it is, but it, it that is absolutely correct. But it is so much more than that because it contains every customer that we talk to in system and, and package is uh, talking about. Well, okay, what's the what's the allowable maximum reflow temperature that I that I'm allowed within this based on this specification? And yes, it, it's it's uh, moisture sensitivity, but it also as an adjunct to that is now becoming this kind of stratification of the allowable maximum reflow temperature that, again, speaks to step soldering, speaks to the needs of heterogeneously integrated devices. Ian, I'm guessing that folks can find you on the internet. Absolutely. www.safi-tech.com. So the company is Safi Tech, and my guests today have been Andy Mackey of Indium and Ian Tevis of Safi Tech for PCB Chat. This is Mike Buto. Have a nice day. Hmm.